You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Andrew Hammond, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, SpyCast brings you conversations with practitioners, authors and scholars who live in the world of global espionage. If you have any questions, comments or concerns, please reach out to us at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. If you like what you hear, and even if you don't, please take a minute to review us on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. We're always looking for ways to make SpyCast better, and you can help. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Jay tonight, and his background and his story could easily fill up from now until midnight, (laughs) but we'll do the best that we can (laughs) to keep it within uh, the hour. Um, So I'm really, there's just so much to to really dig into. And I think I should start by saying that uh, Jay's uh, graphic novel, Red Atlantis, came out on election day. so I read it, I've read it twice now, um, and it's a really great read. Uh, so a nice little plug for the book at the beginning. Um, so I want to come back to the book, Jay, but I, I just want to start off with how did Alexei Yurievich Artmonov become Jan Newman? So in our, in our text for tonight, we had what you could call the choice in 2008 and it sounds like something from a Hollywood movie you were given three choices put a bullet in your own head wait for someone else to do it or run what, what how did you find yourself there that must have been terrifying that must have been uh, something that most of if not all of our listeners have could can never even contemplate other than in a nightmare tell us a little bit more about what was going on then? Well, at this moment, uh, it was my final assignment for Russian government, and I was uh, deputy head of economic security in a Credit Impex Bank, uh, which was back in then uh, as a, uh, so let's say, semi-government platform for multi-billion dollar international money laundering operations. A um, majority of the clients were government-affiliated companies uh, or kind of subcontractors. Um, purpose of this operation was 
to basically take the Russian money or money from Russia, Russian clients, and just move them uh, outside the Russian Federation in some different regions. Of course, operation was um, well protected, well set. Uh, majority of the work was going uh, directly through uh, chains of the offshore companies. Um, it's kind of cliche, but it's a Panama, Cyprus, uh, British Virgin Islands, uh, Bahamas, and some other really, really nice and uh, warm and sweet places all around the globe uh, for which um, uh, Russian ability and uh, Russian, let's say, government-affiliated elites have uh, been laundering and are still laundering money. Uh, money, um, purpose, why they've been doing this. Uh, of course, for personal profit first, uh, and the second, to supply some uh, government or semi-government operations outside the Russian Federation. Uh, because if you're doing uh, such thing through already well-established and settled network of the offshore companies and uh, sort of private bank and organizations, basically it's untraceable, and especially for uh, foreign law enforcement and intelligence agencies. Of course, the United States can see basically any transaction all around the globe because America controls the SWIFT. Uh, but uh, if, even you can see the money flow, uh, but you don't, you don't know uh, where the money came from, not a region but the source of this money. That's why it's almost impossible to prove the money are dirty or gray um, or suspicious. You just know that money came from point A to point B through uh, several layers of offshore companies and landed up in some accounts, uh, somehow affiliated or belong to some former or active government officials or some oligarchs or some really shady and strange people with Russian accents. Um, and you kind of, you, that, that's what kind of work I was doing. And uh, also purpose of existence of this bank uh, and operation itself uh, was to, uh, to give FSB ability, same as Russian government ability, to control the whole money laundering market uh, inside the Russia itself. Uh, because uh, bank was doing almost 50-50. So 50% of operation was uh, focused on overseas. So it's money laundering, money legalization. And 50% in uh, money laundering and uh, black cash in operations inside the Russia. Um, FSB back then, and I'm sure now nothing much has changed, um, using main principle, if you can't beat something, just take control over it. That was the main idea. During the 90s, when during the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, when the whole system was almost destroyed, it was absolute mess and uh, no law and order at all on the financial market. It was extremely corrupted, uh, almost out of control. A lot of different parties been involved in the mine laundering operations. All of them been somehow uh, controlled by some government agencies. So uh, some guys from Federal Security Service, guys from GRU, SPR, uh, Central Bank, uh, tax police, uh, even general procuracy guys been involved, and uh, FSO, which is uh, like Secret Service here in the States. They all somehow have been involved in these operations. And of course, uh, organized crime groups. So Credit Impacts Bank, uh, back then it was, um, I can't say it holding, it's more like a platform on which uh, government interests and organized crime interests are uh, merged. So bank was working uh, shoulder to shoulder um, with, uh, back then it was 
Ivankov and Usayan, both been heads of the Russian organized crime. Um, also, because FSB was involved, it means bank was almost um, untouchable. Um, as an example, uh, I guess it was 2006, if I'm not mistaken, uh, bank was involved in a conflict with another party and uh, um, uh, it was commercial conflict because for the market, uh, uh, the guy with whom we bank ended up in this kind of tense relationship, later on ended up in jail for money laundering, uh, but uh, Credit Impacts Bank was functioning um, till 2014 and then bank owners been functioning and laundering billions and billions of dollars till 2019. After which they've been purged as a classic Russian tradition as well, after work is done. Um, but after a year and a half sort of in jail, they've been released and now they're back to business. So nothing much has changed. Anyways, so uh, this situation 2006, Central Bank sent a commission from Central Bank to the Credit Impacts Bank. Uh, they, technically, they were supposed to investigate criminal activity inside the Credit Impacts Bank and stop all financial operations which never happened. Um, it was just slightly on hold. Um, FSB guys um, kind of helped bank and we ultimately, well, I can't say we, they, they are. I'll just be clear. I don't, I have already text from my attorney. He's saying, just don't say it. So um, he, <laughs> so FSB- I don't want to get you in trouble. Well, yes, I'm, 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 I'm trying to pick the right words. Uh, sure. Um, so FSB uh, bugged the uh, office which was inside the bank and was given to the central bank commission. So in FSB and the bank itself, uh, they were able to see, hear, and manage every move. Every time some guy from the central uh, bank commission was picking up paper from corner A and moving to corner B, it was immediately visible and, and everyone knew what's going on. Uh, and of course, it was uh, some under rug operation inside the central bank as well. And the guys from central bank been told, just step back, don't do anything, let it go. So I guess, uh, I mean, it's ended up just with some basic standard warning and um, no one done anything. And then later on the bank received like several more warnings like that, but operations never stopped. So uh, FSB was deeply involved in that same as government. So it's kind of, yeah, I can say, when Amanda mentioned that a bank was involved in money laundering operations, sort of, yes, but it was state-affiliated and the state-sponsored money laundering operations. So, so you got caught between the, the corrupt elements within the government and uh, organized crime, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if someone can ask a question like, why you didn't report to some higher-up FSB officials for some internal security? But here is the beauty of the situation. I've been reporting directly to higher-up officials. Uh, we've uh, been receiving direct orders from higher-up officials, what to do, how to do it. And they even bringing clients, a sort of clients, uh, to the bank and, connect and protecting bank operations as well from competitors, not from government agencies. Internal security was involved deeply in that because they knew from the beginning what was happening. And after even I left, they've been protecting bank and the bank owners still the end of the story uh to where i should go fsb is one it's 
ultimately the most powerful uh, in organization inside the country, um, can, can control everything, including courts. So where I could go and tell guys we're doing something wrong and we're doing money laundering inside for Russian government inside Russia under FSB control. Do you think that's the way to kind of explain, explain to Russian officials what I was doing? No, that's why kind of I received this offer. Um, and I, I guess I picked, I, I kind of made the right decision. So at least, at least, at least I had an offer. So that's, that's already good. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you mentioned the FSB, just to be clear, the FSB is the successor organization to the KGB, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, same, I mean, different three letters, but same meaning. It's just uh -huh. not, not much and, change. And, you know, when you joined, it was not long after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Was the, was the KGB culture still there? Was, was how much of the KGB was still there when you joined the FSB? A lot. Um, and uh, people uh, felt really bitter for what happened with the country. Um, majority of them felt really disappointed and betrayed. Uh, by government officials uh, who never protected them and never protected country itself. Uh, also, uh, it was inside and the feeling that people who were supposed to give just one order to the uh, KGB and the military guys just, we need to stop it because it's a madness to, just, to destroy your own country. Maybe you can change it, transform it, make it kind of smaller a bit, but modify it, evolution way, just change the regime, the um, political system, but not destroy it. Um, but some people who've been teaching you how to be a great communist and a great Soviet citizen, they just decided to destroy it overnight. Even Soviet people, it was a referendum, by the way, and uh, over 85% of the Soviet people, not just Russians, all the former republics, maybe uh, minus the Baltic states, but they voted to keep the Soviet Union. But this Soviet elite still made a decision to destroy it. That's what happened. Also, if we can say, uh, yes, Jan Neumann, uh, which is my, my name, um, uh, defected from, uh, he's a defector, he defected from his state. It's yes and no. So I did defect from the system, but I can't say that I uh, defect from my country and, and Russian people. So uh, my choice had nothing to do with the country and the Russian people, but it was against the system. And if you want, I can explain like in a short, but ultimately like three sentence. Imagine uh, I was born in, uh, in 70s and uh, till early 80s, every, everyone, uh, people, same people uh, from whom I defected, been telling me how I should love my country, my uh, Soviet Union, and how great it is, and what's the great idea it is, how to be a great Soviet citizen. And I believe in it, same as 99% of our of, uh, Soviet people. Then, in the middle of 80s, absolutely the same people who've been teaching you how uh, communism was great, they said, no, 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 uh, now we are Democrats, and we're going to do perestroika almost overnight. Fine, okay, let's just uh, switch the gear. Then in late 80s, just several years later, they turned to the uh, liberal Democrats and said, let's just destroy it. It was absolutely nonsense for 75 years. Uh, it was no kind of sense to keep this country and they destroyed it. Then a few years later, absolutely same people 
who've been uh, running the political communist party, they turned to the oligarchs and they organized the la- uh, loans for shares, uh, auctions, and then privatization process. Basically ripped off everyone in Soviet Union and uh, ripped off the country itself. They just stole and run and they took what never belonged to them and belonged to everyone. Then, same people who've been former communists and communist bosses already became an oligarchs. They've been running the whole country and uh, turned it into the age of the civil war, close to the end of the 90s, 96, 97. 90. It's exactly when I was in a, joined the academy and I was in service. We had no idea what will be tomorrow, how it will be. And uh, no one knew what's going to happen with our country. Uh, is it going to be still as a, as a country? Or it will be just kind of a small kingdoms like Russia might, might be, could it be just destroyed and multiple on like wherever there's 25 more countries. No one knew what's going to happen. So, and then uh, after we're going through all of that, uh, it's already 2000s, and the same people are almost the same, plus the former, few former GP guys are telling you that now we should launder money for the government and then the name of the government. My only question was like, what the hell am I doing? Like that's, that's just ultimately like what's happening. And they just imagine in this time frame, it's just 20 years something, how, many, how much your country changed, how country lost its ideology, uh, lost its idea, and uh, there was no future at all, none. And b- bottom line was like, you had no idea for whom you're working, especially when you're learning what's going on, you know what, how the system looks like from the inside, and uh, what's the difference between the general, same general is telling you uh, how you should love your country uh, in like 8 a.m. in the morning during the meeting, and then at 7 p.m. in the evening, the same guy in, uh, sitting next to you and just telling you how much money we should move from point A to point B and uh, legalize them somewhere in Miami or L.A. I mean, I think that the choice that you were given almost wasn't a choice. I think 99.9% of people would do what you had done. Um, But how would you deal with people that say, you know, this guy is a a turncoat or this guy is a a traitor or he's he's let Russia down? Um, How how would you, you know, I'm sure that that some of those criticisms have been leveled at you. Um, How would you come back at those sort of responses? If these people can admit that international money laundering is a state secret, then yes, I am a turncoat, I am a traitor, and I am the guy who betrayed them and uh, left. Um, they should have put themselves in my, my kind of my shoes and in my position and then just ask yourself the same question. What are you going to do? It's, uh, um, it's not a movie it's, uh, it's not, a, unfortunately, it's not a movie. It's not a, some kind of a Hollywood um, or a Serpico and the guy can find against the system. It's, it's quite different. It's not, there is no happy end here. You just have to make your choice and then who knows. Even if you made, when you made your choice, you're still in an uncertain situation because um, no one ever said that it would be no ret- action of retribution. So who knows? It's... Um, it's always possible. And, and even in the movie Serpico, it comes at great, co- great personal cost, doesn't it? And, yeah. And, and, and we see recently, um, so many of our listeners you know, will follow the news. Um, 
and they'll be thinking, you know, the the situation you're in is a, a, a it must be a tough one. Like when you see uh, Navalny and you look at the the poisonings or attempted poisonings in the UK. Um, you know, one of my favourite intelligence books is called A Look Over My Shoulder by former director of central intelligence, Richard Helms. Is that is that something that you live with, like having to look over your shoulder? Or do you think it's safer in the States than in somewhere like the UK? Um, you're missing one more thing. I mean, there, I, I can't uh, argue with the head of the CIA, but what I, I should say Yes, look over your shoulder and keep uh, kind of paying for your life insurance. That's the only uh, two things you, should, you could do. Um, if we um, talking about uh, safety here in US, in, U, in, in U.S. or in Europe, I do think that is safer in states. Uh, and the European Union and Asia and Middle East and uh, um, UK, of course, it's, it's kind of a big playground for uh, multiple spy agencies and uh, it always was and always will be. Uh, I do think that Russian side is if not afraid, um, they do understand that if they do something uh, in the United States and uh, it, United States will have enough evidence uh, that was done by Russians, then most likely uh, Russians going to uh, face some issues back on Russian soil as well. Because as you know, the, there are multiple of uh, defectors, uh, uh, as a Russian call them, Russian patriots, sympathizers, sympathizers sorry for my English. And, um, uh, but here you guys call them traitors. They are in Russia. Uh, some of them came during the Soviet time. Some of them uh, came already in the 90s. And of course, if something is going to happen here in States, most likely, yes, uh, we'll do something back in Russia. So it's all about uh, risks for your reputation. Mm. So, and the kind of, they, uh, they, they want to, um, yeah. I mean, you, you really found yourself caught up in just really high stakes uh, international politics international espionage and um, you know this is this is the stuff that most of us just read about in novels and most of us just watch on the TV um, so I think that our listeners will be fascinated just to hear about what it was like to be involved in all of that not cool I mean just not cool, say, say, yeah, not cool at all not cool at all okay. <laughs> hey, you're not allowed to disillusion us no, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say yes, that's perfect story. There's going to help a uh, museum to function. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I hope you guys will have more stories. But I mean, if, if I have a choice between the honest answer and uh, um, kind of politically correct one, I'm going to say it's not cool at all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I was wondering as well, you know, I've saw... And the research for this interview, I've been, you know, reading articles and looking at um, photographs that I could find and stuff. And um, I hope I'm not going to embarrass you too much, but um, how did this incredibly 
handsome young man end up joining the FSB? I believe that there is a family history of intelligence. Is that right? Yes, it is. And I guess, uh, I, I kind of, yes, yeah, spoiler alert, I was watching one of your uh, podcasts and videos with the museum, and you've been talking about uh, British uh, type of recruitment when uh, the principle is pretty simple. He's one of ours, let's take him. That is exactly. So if you have some, uh, it, it was uh, well settled during the Soviet time and then it still exists in Russia. Uh, you're just following your family footsteps. And uh, I can say, I could say I had, I had not much of the choice. So uh, yeah, KGB high school was the next step after just normal school. So instead of just going and uh, be a normal kid and go to the college and university, I ended up just doing these crazy things. And uh, um, I went to the academy right after the high school. So, and I spent five years in the training and yes, it's a family tradition. Um, kind of, so I don't your wanna... father was an intelligence officer? He was the guy who was, uh, um, it's, a, it's a military procuracy. Uh, it's uh, uh, basically they uh, were the only organization in the Soviet Union who were controlling the uh, KGB. So they were observing and controlling how uh, KGB is following the law. Uh, they're not breaking the law and uh, kind of, yeah, that's what they've been doing. Uh, but my mom, she was, uh, she was in KGB, yes. Wow. So yeah, and so, it's, uh, it's and so what's the, you know, what's the, what's the type? You know, you said that you were like you you ticked the boxes. So, in a previous uh, public program, we spoke about the Cambridge Five and how they all tick certain boxes. What what were the FSB looking for when you joined? What was the right type of recruit or person? person who is matching um, what they need. So one of part of the system, that is a huge plus uh, because you know how it's functioning from the inside and you have self-motivation and self-control within the family. Um, ideologically loyal to the organization itself. Uh, in 90s, it was pretty complicated because there was no ideology at all. Like none, it was destroyed, and they still they still don't have it. They have a really wild mix between some uh, communist kind of red ideas and uh, uh, some Russian empire before 1917. I don't know how it's functioning, but yeah, that's what they have. Uh, it's kind of really weird hybrid. But back in the 90s, it was basically open page. Um, I can give you an example, kind of pretty funny one. Um, when I when I was getting into the academy. Uh, just to get into the academy, you have to go through the several like tests and exams and uh, so on. So one of the tests was uh, you have to write the essay uh, based on uh, some book. Uh, and you have like a ticket. You're going to pick up the ticket and there's going to be a name of the book and then you have to write it down. Unfortunately, uh, I picked the ticket. It was a book about the Russian Civil War. And because it's 90s, when I thought, yeah, I can say whatever I want. Um, I wrote it the way it's, um, it, it, it was a, a civil war is not really good, I, I kind of not really good thing. And brothers were killing brothers, Our family was going against the family, and uh, reds, of course, were not good. Uh, it was a lot of, lot of red terror and so on. So 
I was kind of pretty liberal as cell, let's put it this way, with my own personal beliefs. Uh, and especially because my family, uh, we had some uh, ties with the uh, uh, side which lost the civil war. So put it this way, without just going into details. Um, so anyways, I wrote, um, I, got, I got home and I had a dinner and my dad got a call from his friend who was inside the um, kind of a teacher's committee. They've been checking all this says and everything and said that uh, Jay made a kind of, a, I mean, it's written not bad, uh, but the message inside the essay is horrible. Because the guy who was checking my essay, he was like a, a hardcore uh, Soviet-raised, uh, uh, Soviet-focused uh, professor. And when he saw the way I wrote it, uh, it was absolute disaster. So I got really, really low points. So the only chance, chance to fix it was um, to do it like the next day. We had a verbal Russian language and Russian literature. So to go there and if he asks you some questions, just go completely opposite from what you wrote in your essay. That was like, that was absolute nonsense. And so next day I'm in my classes, uh, I'm in my tests and I got a ticket and it's again related to the civil war situation. So when I see this guy uh, who's sitting in front of me and he has my essay literally next to him. So I had no choice and I just kind of started from like completely opposite direction. That yes, um, Soviets been doing the right thing and it was revolution for Russian people and so on and so on. So that is how you see how it's this massive was, this ideological base even inside it. Every, mm -hmm. Everyone and everything was divided completely. So. Yeah, I, I cannot imagine what that was like to see, to feel the, the ground shifting underneath you to move from uh, communism and from growing up to believe in a certain thing and for that to be pulled away from you it must have been quite disorientating but even when you got to the states you uh, am I right in thinking that you ended up you know in Russia you ended up between corrupt government officials and the mob and but in the states you ended up between the FBI and the CIA is that correct yeah it's, um, I mean, yeah, I, when we left, um, the plain initial idea was uh, to get in touch with agency guys. And because I've been trained how to catch Americans, so kind of I, I knew how to find CIA, which was not a big deal at all, if you know how to do it. So, which we, we successfully <laughs> did in the Dominican <laughs> Republic, and they know that too. So, I mean, if you know how to look, you, you always can find. Um, so, we established the contact. And... Uh, uh, original uh, agreement with US government was, uh, guys, I'm going to help you to uh, bust this multi-billion dollar money laundering operations, uh, the networks of accounts, banks, and offshore stuff and everything. In exchange of if you going to help me and, and my wife to get uh, documents from the third country. Uh, priority, of course, Europe, uh, without naming the countries, and uh, then we're just going to disappear on our own. Uh, done. Everyone agree. Uh, somehow agency decided to share this information with an FBI and they told them what this is about. It's about the bank's money laundering and uh, the huge problem which FBI was facing for past 10 plus years. And it's, uh, it's endless problem. It's still in. So um, when we thought that we are moving to uh, Europe, um, FBI switched the gear and the plane was turned to the United States. That's how we landed in uh, in US. Uh, we spent some time 
uh, and on East Coast. I don't want to go with the yeah with locations. And uh, um, then decision was made to transfer us to um, to take us completely from the agency. That's why we have still have these problems with uh, um, some problems are not resolved. And uh, transfer us to some really nice and sweet and uh, quiet place such as Portland, Oregon. According to uh, FBI, uh, it's so nice and so quiet that everything could be resolved extremely quick, no bureaucracy at all, um, and everything will be done as best as they can. So, 12 years later, nothing is done at all by them. So, um, yeah, but again, Portland, uh, I, honestly, when we heard about Portland first time, I knew it's somewhere between Seattle and uh, San Francisco. Uh, I knew that they do have a really solid basketball team. And one of the guys from Baltic States uh, was playing there. Uh, but this is it. Like, that was my own knowledge uh, about Portland. And we, do, we, we knew about some several military facilities around this area, but this is it. Um, yeah, and we spent like about how many? Eight, eight years, really great years in Portland. And wow. some guys... Um, I mean, before 2013, people had no idea who we are and what we are because we ultimately lived under the legend. It's like illegals. You have to create your own legend. You have to create your own network. You have to tell people a uh, completely staged story about who you are, what you are, what you're up to, where you're working. And then the situation happened, this conflict between uh, agency and the bureau in 2013. We've been left. Uh, it's like landing on the moon. You have no documents. You have no supplies. No one knows who you are. And now you, you have a choice. Just basically tell people who knew you for past eight years. Uh, no, it was five years. It was five and a half years um, by then uh, to who you really are and what's behind the story. Um, surprisingly, huge number. All, all, over 90% people gave us their support and help. And some people... Uh, became our really, really close friends and kind of our family, I can say it. And uh, um, some Judy Snyder, Brad Sterling, Simon Gerfer, um, these guys, Neil, uh, Kevin, they became our our family. Uh, we've got support and help from them and, and so on. So, yeah. So Portland is became our hometown. We'll be right back after this. And now, a message from CyberBit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then, you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need CyberBit. CyberBit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. And, and one of the things that surprises me is that, you know, you're, you're like an upbeat, uh, 
optimistic uh, guy or when I've met you, you're, you're larger than life, you're charismatic, full disclosure, Jay's always sending me joke, jokes from the FSB Academy and so forth. Uh, yeah, don't don't and, go and this way. <laughs> and we, yeah, we realise that, you know, Scottish people and Russian people have quite a similar sense of humour and a similar eclectic love of alcohol. But how, how did you manage to stay so upbeat through all of this? Because, I mean, you've really been through a lot. Yeah, and it's basically it's not over yet. It's still happening. So, um, well, I mean, what else I can do? I mean, I mean, most likely I just can start drink and just degradate completely. And uh, but I have some responsibilities. I have my wife. I have my kid. Um, I have my friends, uh, my business partners, Nick and Dave. So yeah, I mean, we just decided. Okay, um, we have to fight it. We have to fight back. Again, as I, as I said, of course, without help of our friends since 2013, this won't be possible at all. Um, our attorneys, uh, Judy Snyder, um, Stephen Cash, Michael Wilde, so they did absolutely phenomenal job. And they've been fighting against all the odds because the, they stepped in and never charged us a penny uh, just to settle our immigration status and our documents because the FBI never accomplished even that. So for all these years, uh, if we, we've kind of been receiving some help and support. And um, th this, this keeps kind of, it helps me to stay positive. Plus um, Red Atlantis, as you already mentioned, plus uh, our, uh, again, again, spoiler alert, Aftershock uh, comics, they're great guys. And uh, they are doing the biopic graphic novel about my wife and I and our journey. I can't give more details, but yeah, it's coming. And I think you saw the screenshots. Um, uh, also, with my guys, Nick and Dave, we're doing uh, several more projects. It's a documentary TV series. We're discussing a few projects with museum right now and want to help museum as much as we can. Um, we have absolutely phenomenal support from uh, intelligence community, former CIA guys, NSA, and so on. Um, so, yeah, kind of that's, cool. that keeps me alive. And, uh, and I, I guess I, and I also found what I want to do. Um, I'm happy about my projects. I'm happy about writing. I'm uh, happy about some consulting work. Um, yeah, so that's kind of I'm trying to. I'm making myself busy. Let's put it this way. And, and, and at the Spy Museum, we are very appreciative of of your, you know, uh, willingness and help and support. And you mentioned the graphic novel there, so we discussed this for a couple of hours the other week. So. I just want to get back to this, get back to Red Atlantis. So get, to, to give people a teaser, tell them what the, you know, in, in a sort of minute or so, because I want to leave time for the audience to ask questions. I'm sure there's a few. Give us like a brief synopsis. What's the graphic novel about? It's about the worst fear and threat that U.S. can face. Ultimately, Red Atlantis uh, with Nick and Dave, uh, we created this um, Red Atlantis universe. It's about the secret society, secret occult organization, uh, which started its operation in early 20, 1920s and penetrated Russian uh, government system and later on took it over. That's spoiler alert. And you guys are not going to see these historical moments in uh, book one. So it's going to be season two. And uh, we are, uh, it's already written. Uh, 
raw nodes and we're working. Hopefully we can make it a graphic novel season two. Um, and uh, their main goal is uh, to ignite the global red house, the fire all around the globe, destroy not only American political system, but all the other states as well, including Russia, and to turn it to absolute hell uh, and then let new humanity be born for the fire, like baptizing by fire. Um, we were able to integrate a lot of personal uh, stories and some real events, geopolitical events, uh, history um, into the into Red Atlantis. Uh, idea when we've been creating this and working with uh, uh, Stephanie Phillips uh, as a writer, uh, uh, Robert Carey as, a, as an artist and uh, Roshan Troy Piteri, we thought that, okay, we can't tell the whole story within five issues. It's just impossible. It's only 100 pages. But what we want to do, we want to code the message. We want to code this, our story from the uh, Red Atlantis universe inside this graphic novel. We want to uh, let people think uh, as they are operatives. Let's say they are CIA or FBI guys who are investigating what's going on. Or maybe they want to uh, think that they are this main character, uh, Miriam or uh, Sasha, the second guy. Or maybe they want to think that they are bad guys, they are Red Atlantis operatives, the sleepers and Manjurian candidates. Uh, we wanted them to try to kind of get themselves selves inside this world of the Red Atlantis uh, and uh, uh, maybe compete with us. Uh, because if they can understand what's going on, they can build this the whole journey on their own, then maybe they can say, yes, we were right and we see it right now in, in, in season two or... Oh, you guys, you just overplayed us and there are some, a lot of cool things are happening. Um, also, the decision to put the uh, U.S. election, it's uh, um, the kind of this opening scene in Red Atlantis. It was a tough decision. Uh, we kind of, we had a choice between multiple scenes and we do think that the um, decision was made to put this ele election moment because it's the most important moment for uh, American people and for democracy itself. Um, kind of, I hope people are not going to freak freaking out when they see it and uh, they're not going to feel like, yeah, guys, how come, how you, uh, four years ago when you started working on this project, you uh, knew what is going to happen in 2020. And especially with our spy background, people are going to think, okay, okay, Russians are involved again. They know. They knew four years ago that something is going to happen in 2020, that it's elections involved again. It's yes and no. Uh, so because for when we've been working on this project, we uh, spoke with several uh, former CIA guys and FBI guys, it's, uh, and we kind of got their feedback, and we, we tried to predict maybe some events. And, and I said already, we coded the uh, recent political, mm -hmm. geopolitical events inside the story. So it's, people should read it in the lines. And that's one of the things that I found really fascinating about it. Um, so um, there's a lot of questions coming in. So I'm just going to quickly give you a couple of final questions. Uh, so, so in the novel, this is, a, this is a quote from the graphic novel. The Cold War is hot again as Russian sleeper agents exploit America's political divide and sow dissent. So a lot of people would think, was that from the Washington Post and the New York Times or from your, from your graphic novel? So I guess one of the classic questions is, is 
what's the relationship between fact and fiction, between your background as a Russian intelligence officer and Jan Neumann, the, the, one of the creative minds behind this graphic novel? It's actually a modified uh, uh, version of uh, the quote which uh, I used for um, some intelligence report for some private intelligence company, which was written in 2017. So it, oh, was, wow. it, it was quite a few <laughs> years before this happened. Uh, we, as I said before, we put a lot of like personal expertise and personal knowledge inside the story. Of course, we had to make it really simple to, to absorb and un, to, to understand. It was absolutely complicated uh, process for uh, Stephanie and um, uh, Aftershock's team because uh, myself, and uh, slightly my guys, we've been on their neck all this process and we want to be like as loaded as much as possible of the information, these details, the spy activity to make it as realistic as possible. But then finally we understood that we, we can't do it. Like let, let the artists do their job. Uh, so Stephanie and uh, Robert, uh, they've done absolutely amazing work. And uh, they, they, they were able to, um, to put this real fear, real threat, real world, our, our thoughts into some kind of really specific and really cool form, which average person can understand. That was the main idea, because when we, uh, when we wrote this uh, universe, this, as we call it as a Bible, we let our um, legal consultants, uh, national security consultants to see it. And they said, like, it's no go, not going to happen. You can't do it, guys. That is just, it looks like it's intelligence report and it's a prediction that something as bad is going to happen with our country. You can't do it. Like, let's make it as simple as possible. And uh, sorry, I'm just, I can talk hours and hours about this project. No, no, no. and I could, I could listen for hours and hours. And one of the things I found out today was that uh, you took acting classes and you found them very therapeutic. And I actually have taken some acting classes as well, so to be continued. But now I want to pass it over to Amanda and the rest of the team. Did we decide to not share Jan's foray into acting? Come on, that's, we, we, that's we can, we can like 30 we can seconds discuss. of shame. That don't, don't do it. <laughs> if, you, if you think there's time, if you think there's time. <laughs> well, we can run over a little bit if uh, so. If Hannah, do you want us not to, Jay? Guys, your call. I mean, you know, I'm All right, we'll I'm, I'm a hostage here, so you just you. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see if if Hannah wants to sweep control away and show the oh my god your Oscar winning performance. Which yeah, but is, I wrote a speech. Thank you, speech uh, right after I got this part. Yes, I guess it would be an Emmy. <laughs> So, oh, yeah. the best death on the screen on 2013 yes all right people really want to know how is your family back in russia how do they you know are they safe was there any retributions how do they feel about your choices lots of questions about that well simple uh we're not in touch with them we're just not allowed to do so uh second thing i am a traitor for them and that was a clear message it was already obvious in uh, 2008 when I made my choice. Uh, I can't judge them for that uh, because they are in Russia. They believe in what they believe. Um, they are lucky because uh, my parents, uh, because they had country. They spent most of their life, young life in a country which exists and they had values. And it doesn't matter. You guys are gonna think the Soviet Union was bad or good. It doesn't matter. Uh, they believed in it and uh, our country did really well for them. And uh, they 
they knew that they've been working on serving something big, bigger than they are. And unfortunately, in my case, uh, due to the 87, 89, 89, uh, 90s, and so on, it kind of, yeah, we, we lost this. I'm not sure. I mean, that, that's just, it, it's just my opinion. It's just how I feel it. I'm not, maybe other guys do have kind of different view on that. Um, if you were to do it all over again, but do it now, if you were to relive your life, but starting your journey now, would it be harder or easier? By, by, by already having all this background or... Or no, if you were, you know, to leave, if you were to serve with the FSB and then leave, what do you think? Would it be more dangerous, harder, easier if you were like trying to leave now? Yes, I think this could have been more complicated. Um, this is first. Second thing, I, if I would have do it right now, um, without knowing, I mean, it's hard. I mean, look, if, if I knew how FBI is treating people, then most likely I just going to stay with the agency and I do my best to stay with them. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, as, as living as if I could have had the same choice right now, I would have, I would have lived. It, it's, it's guys, it's really, um, complex process. You, uh, you can't make decisions like overnight. Uh, yes, we got a choice. And then ultimately the next 72 hours after we've got a choice, uh, a lot of stuff went through my head. Uh, and uh, of course, we discussed, discussed it with my wife and uh, it was extremely tough and uh, um, kind of life-changing uh, decision. You, you're going to nowhere. You have to leave everything behind you. You know that you can't return to this country by any point. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, it's just like gambling. You have to put a bet and then who knows? It's impossible to say. It's just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. It's impossible to explain in one sentence or two sentences. It's just, it's, um, it's different. Do you miss practicing tradecraft? It was such, you know, part of your life for so that, long. That's why I'm writing right now. That's the best way to do it. And uh, um, now I have two victims on whom I'm practicing my writing. It's my partners, Nick Leeds and Dave Pavone. So they have to deal with me on a daily basis, 24-7. Even, even they are in LA, uh, but it's because of these new gadgets and technologies. Never going to stop me. So, yes, they, they have to experience uh, how to, to do it. You have sort of addressed this, but I think people want it in black and white. Are you safe? Is it okay for you to tell this story? Is the FSB after you? I guess we will see after this video. So we don't know. Um, yes, it's, it's all, it's like, again, as no I said, it's on us. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you. You, you, you never know. Uh, I hope I still have my, um, I, I can't say Irish luck, but Russian luck. And, uh, um, but we'll, we'll see how it's ended up. So who knows? I mean, I don't know. I can't say it's, uh, it's safe or not, but I, I hope it's safe and, uh, I'm trying not to say some, a lot of things and uh, kind of, you know, I'm trying to navigate within the answers and uh, yeah. Um, what was the, one of the guests wants to know, what was the process of your disillusionment, disillusionment like? Was it fast? Was it slow? Was there ever an event that just pushed you over or was it cumulative? You mean uh, when I when I left the country, or yes, yeah, or yeah. 
Well, I mean, look, uh, we left everything. Like all the property we had left. Um, all personal belongings left. We left with the uh, two suitcases. Uh, decision was made within 72 hours after I've got this uh, choice. And uh, no one knew except only two people. Uh, one of them was uh, back then inside the FSB in high rank position. And this person helped us to leave. So mm -hmm. we already had a flag on our names uh, in airports. Um, it's a, a kind of internal uh, watch list. Uh, it's one for police, uh, one for uh, counterintelligence and intelligence. So we already had it on us. And my, my friend, he helped us to leave. So he gave us the direct airport where we should leave and uh, because he had some connections. And yeah, um, it, 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 by the way, this will be in the, in the graphic novel. We're going to talk about this and uh, they, they want to discuss it uh, inside the story. Yes, but it, it was kind of, it was a pretty, pretty complicated process. And uh, um, it's, I'm, I'm, we don't have like underage people watching us right now. Uh, when I already was in uh, an airplane and uh, when we... Um, switched uh, in Frankfurt uh, from uh, Russian Airlines uh, to Lufthansa, um, I ordered immediately a few shots of cognac. And guess what? I was sober as glass. I guess it was so much stress and it doesn't work at all. So, so much uh, adrenaline in your system. Oh, yeah. Um, one gentleman has two questions that are both very interesting about FSB. One is about, uh, in May 2019, the Department K officer, Carol Chakarlin, Probably. Italian, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Was arrested with, you know, nearly 200 million valuables in his flat. Um, do you know why he was arrested? Um, did that harm the FSB's reputation? She as I, as, I, as I explained in the beginning, uh, Cherkalin uh, joined the uh, director at K and the bank unit um, a few years uh, after I left. Uh, before him, it was Frolov. It was the guy who was ahead of this bank unit. Uh, but then when we started working with the bank, uh, Frolov was just one of the operatives. So basically Frolov was the guy, later on he became the head of this unit, bank unit. Um, and actually they both been arrested at, at, at one day. So uh, this guy has been responsible for FSB control over money laundering, uh, not only in this bank, but in all, all overall market. Since 2008, when we st uh, when 2005, uh, when the whole operation started, it was like a Pac-Man. Idea of creating this platform bank, it was not just one bank who was doing all this work. No, it was basically eat and consume everyone else on the market. Take it over completely. That it was achieved at all. If you check on the articles, which was um, released since 2009, 10, and so on, you can see how many, uh, every, every year, Every like six months, you can see like one of the money laundering kingpins was destroyed, but nothing was happening with the uh, guys, uh, which business kind of uh, um, I was observing and uh, uh, assigned to. Um, and FSB was providing their service and protection and help and so on. Of course, if you're doing some, if you're involved in some kind of dirty operations like that, it's impossible to stay clean. Everyone in FSB knew that uh, bank unit and uh, not only just these two colonels, um, but guys on higher top like in deputy director level they're receiving some money and some profit as well but if you can see on the, on the, on the news that no one else was punished except these two guys uh, my understanding and, and i already mentioned it's a classic purge so when the job is done everything is settled market is under control they just decided to clean it up um, and of course these two individuals they lost ground completely 
um, I mean, uh, people had kind of uh, lots of cash involved on their uh, plus a lot of assets uh, overseas, um, bank account loads uh, with cash and uh, foreign currency and so on. Um, dozens of the really expensive cars. The guy, the Cherkalin, I guess, if I'm not mistaken, he had like a five or six G-class Mercedes Benzes, just same same standing on his, uh, and he was using the private driver and, do, and wearing like $50,000 a watch to his, uh, to, to his office, to FSB, which is nonsense. Um, honestly, that's beyond. And, but they've been watching this. They've been, uh, they've been kind of uh, controlling this. They knew what's happening uh, because the whole operation was going since 2005 up to 2019, so 14 years. Do you really think that no one else in internal security knew what's going on or no one knew inside like deputy directors? No, it's impossible to hide. Everyone was receiving money. Everyone was making money out of it. Uh, but when at the moment they uh, hit the plateau, and it was no purpose, no, no more sense to keep these corrupted guys, they just purged them. So most likely right now, well, there is a person who is completely loyal to the state, uh, maybe who has some uh, other benefits and uh, shares, uh, but he won't be that corrupt, not like kind of more openly corrupted. And he will be completely following orders from, from higher-ups. So yeah, that's, that's the whole picture. It's like if you guys watch the movie International, it's a pretty good one with Clive Owen. Even I know the British guys really don't like him. I don't know why. But um, the, uh, the movie itself, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a pretty good explanation of uh, how the whole thing works, like from the bank perspective, not from the uh, FSB. I, I, yeah, I thought it was very cool. Um, I have, there are lots of questions. I'm going to ask one more FSB-oriented one. Um, in 2015, a group of FSB Academy graduates hired expensive... Idiots. Idiots, right. Well, so they were celebrating their graduation. They're driving around They're, You know, they're doing what kids uh, here do. And but does this yeah. reflect a different type of person um, involved with the FSB now? Or is it just, you know, the 21st century or what? Look, no, it's not 21st century. It's not uh, someone else's involved. But sometimes too much is too much. And the uh, government is always looking for some... Uh, public punishment example, like a lesson to teach, to show like, don't do it, it's too much. Everyone knew that uh, e economic department of FSB and some higher up guys are extremely corrupted. Uh, everyone kind of knows that. Uh, and uh, the G-class Mercedes, which is like 95 or 100 something thousand dollars per car, it's a symbol of the corruption almost like in Russia. If you, if you, it's a, it's a, there is a nickname for this car, it's called a brick because of this really specific aerodynamics. So, um, and the guy has been driving this uh, and they consider themselves as a counterintelligence or intelligence officers. That's not a good idea at all. You just showing to average people that you are uh, bigger than the world, you are above them and they're nobody and you just kind of new nobility and that's a bad idea. So um, they've got, they just got punished, that's it. And actually, um, kind of same thing happened with, I'm not sure I should go this way or not, but uh, with the uh, case of uh, Oligar Harakovsky, I guess, uh, because uh, Harakovsky was uh, sentenced in jail. Uh, Gusinsky was kicked out of the country. Berezovsky uh, was kicked out of the country. But then that's it. No one else was punished. That was one of the examples of uh, like a public punishment. Uh, and the purpose was uh, just to explain to others that you guys have to do what we're going to tell you to do. 
Otherwise, you're going to follow these three individuals. So this is it. So it's ultimately a political case because, I mean, FSB had enough and still have enough material to put basically every, every, every oligarch to jail. It's not a big deal at all. Okay, Jan, I feel really bad because you're the former Russian spy, but I have to tell you something that we always say at the Spy Museum, which is trust no one. And I'm sorry I had to tell you this, but you can't trust anyone because over here in the chat, all sorts of people that I know are really close to you are saying things like, show the video. And why would a former FSB officer have to take acting lessons? So I can explain I if you want. I'm going to show it and maybe, but do you want to address that question? Let me address first and then we can, uh, we can do it. Okay. Okay. Um, based on my um, school, call it the side effects of my previous kind of a training and work. I don't trust three things. It's three P. First, psychologist. Second, second pills. The third is priests. So you need always to find the way. How, the reason is not because they're bad guys. No, because uh, back um, in the days, we've been using them as a, uh, sources to collect the information. So I'm kind of, I'm really paranoid to go to the, these three directions. I'm just not my thing at all. So when I was looking for the way how to treat stress, and I've been uh, doing the work for uh, FBI and uh, Russian government, uh, American government is the same, sorry. Uh, um, so for, for US government. So anyways, uh, and I was looking for a way how to treat it. And I thought, okay, um, and I, I read uh, some kind of old books about the, what guys been doing in early like 20s and 30s and 40s. And going to the acting classes was one of the methods how to get rid of the stress. Because through playing the characters and learning, just learning the process learning, you're healing yourself so you can get rid of all these negative emotions. So I found a teacher who became my really close friend, African-American actor, director, and producer down in Portland, Kevin Jones, and he has his own theatrical company. Uh, he just thought initially that I'm just a mid-age guy, white guy with a crisis, and I just want to be an actor. I want to change my life. Uh, so I went through um, acting training with him um, in classes, like individual one-on-one. And at some point, he understood that I'm just kind of wasting his time because I don't want to go to any auditions. I don't want to find any agent. And he just started to kick my ass and say, okay, I'm not going to stay in touch with you anymore if you are not going to find agent or do something with your acting career. I said, okay, well, let's try. I told this to the federal agents and they said, like, you can try, but nothing, nothing going to happen. So you can forget about this. It's just, yeah, I mean, you have the Russian accent and you not look like American. It's just, yeah, not going to happen. So anyways, I went for the first audition. I got an agent in, in, in Portland. And the guy had no idea who I am. Like ultimately, just, just a random guy. Then he sent me to audition to this TV show called Grimm. Um, surprisingly, I've gotten a callback. Um, then I got an available list. And then I landed this small part uh, playing the uh, Austrian uh, spy assassin. And uh, everyone... It was a kind of a dilemma. What should I just reject the offer or should I do it? And then we spoke with a few uh, federal guys and they said like, well, I mean, no, no one's going to watch it. Just yeah, try it. Like, we're not going to recognize you. Just, you can do, you can do it. Why not? Like, that's, that was the thing. So yeah, and, and I did it. On, on a, a set, it was, I spent like almost 12 hours uh, and then you can see me only for 30 seconds on the screen. Uh, but good, but good paycheck. That that's what a good one. Um, and the director who picked me from the audition, Terence O'Hara, uh, really nice guy, really great guy. Um, when we had a break, he came to me and he was really serious and he was telling me how a spy should walk, talk, and behave. 
And I was, no, that, that, I mean, Terence is phenomenal. He's, he's really great. And uh, advice is really uh, working out. So he just said, like, hey, just be yourself. Just, yeah, come down and just talk as slow as possible. And just, yeah, that uh, you should get into the character. You should understand that you can be a spy. You can be the, the, the assassin. You can do this work. I said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Then that's happened. And uh, yeah. I think we got a really good eyeful of your experience as an Austrian assassin. Yeah, like Travolta style. I guess even haircut was matching in a, in a, in a business suit as well. Yes. Um. <laughs> well, by the way, by the way, the, the uh, get up, I won't ask again. It's almost was a quote from what I've been saying when I was working for FSB. When you, <laughs> you're going to the bus, some people. So, yeah, it was just it was it was easy. Um. Well, Jan, we have run so far over because we dearly uh, love you. It is, it's such a pleasure getting to know you and, and working with you here at SPY. And Andrew, you were asked such incredible questions and we have tons more in the audience. Um, but I know that we will work with you again and again. And thank you so much, Jay. And thank you, One, one, one thing. Can I say yes. one thing, guys? Sorry Absolutely. for interrupting. Yes, one thing. First of all, I want to say uh, thank you to Central Ron Wyden and his team uh, because these guys helped us a lot in Portland, Oregon. That was tremendous help. Also to our friends, uh, Michael Jenkins, Alunap, the former Navy SEALs, absolutely amazing guys. And because of the Red Atlantis guys, we received the uh, incredible support from intelligence community, uh, including Chris Cost and uh, other guys. So they supporting our crazy ideas such as Red Atlantis. So we want to say special thank you from my team uh, and, and myself as well to John Seifer, Tracy Walder, Christian Wood, uh, Dennis Franks, Sarah Carlson, Nada Beckers, Dr. Mark, Mark Stout, Jack Barsky, and two journalists, our friends, uh, Justin Rocklish and Michael Weiss. I and just, yeah, sorry, guys, I, 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 I had to do it. No, and those are many, those are very good friends of ours too, for the most yes. part. Um, so... We echo uh, the support that yes. is here in the intelligence community. And I cannot thank our supporter, Glenn Mead, enough for enabling us to have this really great conversation to make programs like this free. It's, it's so, um, we're so grateful. And um, we have lots of programs for people of all ages. So we try to tell all sorts of different stories, um, current events like Jay and the things from the past. But if you've been enjoying them and you want to be, um, you want to compete with Glenn Mead, we're happy for you to make a donation to our mission resilience campaign. And, you know, I just really enjoyed spending this time with guys, both of you tonight. And guys, please support museum. And this Jay, place is amazing. Thank you for letting us show the video. Cause, and he does have the best jokes. So sometime when he feels like it, we're going to have him come back <laughs> and tell his jokes. When you're ready, Jay, we're going to do a jokey happy hour with That's Jay. That's totally up to you guys. Yes, I definitely in for it. So, The International Spy Museum is a full 501c3 non-profit. If you want to donate to the museum, or if you're local and would like to volunteer at the museum, please visit our website at spymuseum.org for more information.